welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 22nd of November 2015, entitled, Standing When It Matters Most. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. God willing, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts this morning and this evening. The book of Acts chapter 7, I'd like to draw your attention to at this time for our reading. Acts chapter 7, we're going to begin reading in verse 54, read down through the end of the chapter, verse 60. I invite you to stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's holy word. From Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, Lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. And Lord, as we have already prayed, we pray now that through that same Holy Ghost that filled Stephen in this reading, Lord, that you would take and speak to our hearts this day. Meet the needs of all that are here. May you be glorified in all that's said and done. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. In the spring of the year 1521, there was a Roman Catholic monk. He was also a professor of theology. There was someone before the Emperor Charles V. And the imperial died of the Holy Roman Empire. That man's name, Martin Luther. For the previous few years, he had been fearlessly criticizing the abuses of the Roman church and proclaiming this truth of salvation by grace. His words had fanned the long, smoldering resentments of many of the German people towards Rome that were being held already. So the emperor had summoned him to a city called Worms. There in Worms, the Diet would uh, convene in hopes of putting an end to this one that they thought to be a religious charlatan. The uprising that was coming because of what he had sparked with the words that he was proclaiming and preaching. He would stand trial, and if he was convicted of what they were charging him from, he would face execution. 
Spalatin, Luther's friend, warned him about going to Worms, even though that he had been offered this safe conduct pass from the emperor just a century earlier. John Huss had been burned at the stake at the Council of Constance, even though he had been given a safe conduct pass to be there as well. It's Luther's reply that I want us to just keep in mind this morning as we look at this passage in Scripture. I'm sure you've probably heard it before. But he said that he would enter worms in spite of the gates of hell and the powers of darkness. He said, even if there were as many devils in it as there were tiles on the roofs of the houses, he did go. He appeared before the died and he refused to recant what he had written and what he had spoken and what he was preaching. He would take back nothing, not a word of it. And he asserted that his accusers could not prove wrong from Scripture anything that he had said. And his words were this. He said, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by scriptures I have quoted and my conscience, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Now we know that even Martin Luther didn't come to realize all the truths of scripture. We know that even today we would disagree with some of the things, the doctrines that he held. But you have to look at where this man came from. Look at what he had been taught within Roman Catholicism to that point. And the spark that he lit, salvation by grace, many did come to see some of those other things as error later on. The thing that I want you to realize and understand is that he knew when he was entering that city, he knew in the first instance that his life lay in the hands of those men that he was going to stand before. But he knew that he could not in any instance go against the word of God. He could not go against the scriptures, which is what he had been trying to proclaim some 1,500 years prior to that happening. It's what we're reading about here in our account of Acts chapter 7. You see, this was another servant of God that stood trial. He was on trial for his life. His name is Stephen. We've just read of these, these texts that we've read here this morning of his stoning before the council. You see, the thing that those two men had in common was that they had to stand where they stood upon the Scriptures. They had to take their stand. A stand which actually in both these instances, in one instance, it did cost him his life. 
and the other it did not. You see, we don't base these things upon whether they're good or bad just because whether somebody survives and comes out on the other side the way that we think that they should. But may I say in both of these instances, the stand that they took without any shadow of a doubt, God used to change the course of history. We find that in Stephen's case, there was a young man. We don't know anything about any of the others that were there that day, what happened to them. We'll think about that maybe in a minute. But there was one man there by the name of Saul. <laughs> that his clothes were laid at his feet. And we know from Scripture that Saul, later to become the Apostle Paul, condoned and agreed to what was taking place there that day. But may I say, that the testimony of the one that stood, though it cost him his life, changed the course of history because what would the world be like without the Apostle Paul and God's use of him in establishing those New Testament churches and giving us a big portion of the New Testament that we have today? Though we may not agree with all the doctrines of Martin Luther from the Reformation when we look back, and there is no doubt that the Protestant Reformation that took place as a result of that changed the course of history. Many, many, many that had been bound totally and completely by Roman Catholicism were broken free from that. And from that, many, many, many places around the world began to hear a gospel of grace, not of works. You see, our thought this morning is standing when it matters most. We can stand for a lot of things. Sometimes we just stand for something just out of pure stubbornness because we've made up our mind and no matter what anybody else says or does, we are there, we're standing. I'm saying to you today that as Christians, we need to stand when it matters most. And I hope as we look at some things here this morning that we'll come to understand just what we mean by when it matters most. Because you see, as this one called Stephen, as he stood there, we already know that as stated that the apostle Paul later himself testifies of that moment in time of when Stephen took his stand, the impact that it had on his life. But also in our reading this morning, we see some other things there that, you know, as this was taking place, we find that the Bible tells us, first of all, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. When they heard what things? Well, I wish, but for the sake of time, and that clock's not even working back there, for the sake of time, I won't go back, but you need to go back and begin the Verse, the first beginning of verse 1 of chapter 7, and you'll find Peter, or I'm sorry, Stephen standing before these people preaching to them. And you'll find that as he stood there before the council, he begins his sermon and he goes right back because, again, we're talking with the Jewish people. He goes back to Abraham and he brings them down through Abraham, down to Jacob, down through his 12 sons that were the patriarchs, down to Joseph. He reminds them of the promise that God had made to Abraham and 
how that the nation of Israel would be taken into captivity for 400 years, they would be under someone else. He reminds them of how God used Joseph to bring his people into the land of Egypt, and then after spending all that time there under this Egyptian powers, that he brought forth this man called Moses. And he reminds them of Moses and how that God brought them and set them free and brought them out of that and how that they refer too much to the laws of Moses, which God gave that man. All of those things there as he brings them up. But notice just a couple of verses before our reading. He says in verse 51, he says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now, wouldn't you be glad if I got up here this morning and looked all of you straight in the eyes and said, You stiff-necked bunch of uncircumcised people. This is the people that are holding his life in his hand. Yet he says, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, Jesus Christ, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. In other words, Stephen stood there before these that held his life in his hands and he stood there and he proclaimed the truth to these people of Scripture and he proclaimed to them who Jesus Christ was. Obviously, the Holy Ghost was convicting their hearts, but they didn't like that. The Bible shows that they lashed back out with him in anger. Well, look at that. But then notice this. When they were gnashing back out at him with their teeth, and I wonder, you know, isn't it interesting that word that's used there when they gnashed on him with their teeth? That's one of the descriptions that's used of those that are in hell, in that place called hell. Their gnashing of their teeth is the same way these people were acting here. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing on the right hand of God. Now, how many of you have ever had an experience in your life that you literally could see visually into the portals of heaven, the glory of God and Jesus Christ right there on the right hand of God. That's what Stephen saw. You see, standing when it matters most, it mattered most because of the testimony that he not only was having on this one Saul that would be used to change history, it mattered most because this was an opportunity in his life that he hadn't stood there. He would never have experienced what he experienced that day when he was carried right into the portals of heaven, right there in the glory of God and seeing Jesus right there. And he said to them, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. That was an awesome sight to see. Stephen would never have seen that that day had he not taken the stand when it mattered most. He would not have experienced that in his own life 
He would not have been the testimony to that one that would later be used so much to accomplish God's work with the Gentile people. We find that all down through history, as we gather right here this morning, this event recorded in God's Word for our reading that we can know, that we can understand. Who knows the effect that this small portion of Scripture has had upon countless lives right down through the centuries. When it matters most, will we take a stand? Well, I want to encourage you this morning. When does it matter most for you to take your stand? There's a lot of important things that you can take your stand on in this life. It might be a stand for something or it might be a stand against something. It might be something that some people are doing or something that some place is going. It can be all kinds of things. But may I say that when it matters most is when you take a stand for Jesus. Regardless of the circumstances, Regardless of where you are, regardless of what it's for, when you need to stand, you need to have the same confidence in your heart that both Stephen and Martin Luther had when they said, we cannot do anything else except stand here upon the word of God. Stand here for the truth that is ours. I want to give you four quick things this morning. Four quick things that contrast between the two groups that we're here this day in Scripture. The first one is the contrast of the volition that controlled them from within. The volition, that which drove them, that which, which made them do what they did. What was it from within them that made Stephen stand in the face of death to take a stand for Jesus Christ? And what moved those others? Literally here, when when. Stephen stood there and told them that he could see into the portals of heaven. Do you notice what it said? They, they just stopped their ears. They said, no, 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 we're not going to listen. They literally did not want to hear what he had to say. The contrast. You see, in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. What was driving them? They were filled with anger. They were filled with anger. You see, the first part of Stephen's preaching, it was interesting, might even have been agreeable. They could agree with those things that he was saying about Abraham and what he was saying about Joseph and what he was saying about Moses and all these things. Yeah, they, they could agree with all that. But when it came down to talking about what they had done to the just one, to Jesus Christ, wow. You see, that's when their anger flared up. That's what drove them to do the things. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. That word there literally means it's the same thing as if I took a saw and cut this chair in half. That's the picture that it gives. They were cut just like a saw sawing their heart in half. So they were cut to the heart. Their anger within them was controlling their ashes. When, when that happened, their heart and their anger flat up, it says they, they gnashed on him with their teeth. Their, their anger took over. They were like a riotous mob, and we see more evidence of that later on. We find that we're told that 
many, many will react in the same way at the judgment that takes place. In Revelation chapter 16, notice what the Word of God says here. Revelation chapter 16, let's pick up in verse, verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and poured his given unto him to scorch the men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. When things started going wrong during the tribulation, they start blaspheming God. Well, I got news for you. That's what both of these men, Stephen and Martin Luther, that's what they were being accused of. That's what they were standing trial for was blaspheming God. Here we find people blaspheming God because of the judgment that's coming upon them. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And what? And blasphemed the God of heaven because of the. And you can keep reading right on down through that chapter, and you'll find the same thing over and over again. That's the reaction of people when God's judgment begins to come upon them many times. But you see in stark contrast, what I want you to see is here is a riotous mob gnawing with their teeth and getting ready to stone this guy. They're acting out of anger, has taken control of them. But what does it say about Peter verse 50, in chapter verse 55? But he being full of the Holy Ghost. They were full of anger. Stephen was full of God, full of the Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting? that back when they chose Stephen to become a deacon in the church, that it was those men that they picked out among them in chapter 6. Look ye out, seven men among you of honor support, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Here, in the next chapter, when he's standing there for his life, here, it says that he was being, he was full of the Holy Ghost, being full of the Holy Ghost. You see, this wasn't just a, a simple one-off thing. Stephen was chosen to be a deacon in the church because he was a man they could see was full of the Holy Ghost that was controlled of God. Here, when he took his stand, Though those around him were filled with anger, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, God will give us the strength that we need. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Someone said, well, it didn't look like he gave him much strength if it cost him his life. Well, we'll look at that in a second. But in Luke chapter 12, notice what it says in verse 11 and 12. And when they bring you into the synagogues and into magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Don't be fearful of, of those in power in this land when they drag you before them. Jesus is giving the same teaching right here that is exactly what Stephen was putting into action. We could read other places. You see, we might say that Stephen had every right <laughs> to feel anger. I mean, he was being mistreated. He was being tried in a way that wasn't even legal. 
He had these that were threatening to take his life if he didn't recant of the thing that meant more to him than anything in his life. And yet, he didn't lash back in anger. It should encourage Christians to not shy away from difficult situations that we can find ourselves in sometimes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, the Word of God says, Therefore I take pleasure. This is the Apostle Paul writing later. I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The truth is, as many times in those difficult situations that the power of God and the strength of the Lord comes through as he's promised that he would, we should be willing to boldly stand and communicate Christ in every circumstance. That's when it matters most if you're going to stand for anything in life. When it matters most is when you're standing for the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that if you've got any hope in your salvation, if you're saved, if you go into heaven one day, oh, God's promises are true. He says, don't fear those people because the Holy Ghost will be there with you and for you. He'll give you the grace that you need to face that situation. He'll give you the strength that you need. We've got to ask ourselves today, what controls us from within? What controls our actions today? What is controlling your actions today? Is it the flesh as was controlling this mob? In this case, it was their anger, but it can be all kinds of emotions. It was their flesh that was in control, the situation, the circumstances, what made them feel angry at that time. Or is it God through the Holy Ghost? Is he the one that's filling you? Is he the one that's controlling your life? You've heard me say many times, people get this wrong concept a lot of times, and we've got a whole series of it on the Holy Spirit. But somehow being filled with the Holy Spirit is getting a little bit more of him, like you get a little bit more of that water or something, more of the Spirit. Folks, you either have him, he is a person, you either have him or you don't have him, and you have all of him, you don't have part of him. But being filled is when he has control of your life. He is there. But when he fills you, he's the one that takes control. He takes charge. He's the one that is bringing about the actions. You see, the volition. What is it that is driving you in your actions in your life today? Is it your fleshly emotions or is it the Holy Spirit? That was the big difference in these two crowds that were gathered here that day. But not only was there a contrast in the volition that was behind their, their actions and all that we're doing, but also in the visibility of the spiritual things that they could see. What do you mean, preacher? Well, very simple. Part of that crowd were blind. They couldn't see anything spiritual. All they could see was the physical that was around them. We find that that's what... Verses 55 and 56 are, are talking about here. Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. He was looking up to heaven. He saw God, Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He saw the, the heavens being opened. He saw men standing on the right hand of God. He, was, he had good visibility of spiritual things that day. He was looking upon God. He was looking upon Jesus Christ. He had spiritual sight. 
we find that many times the comment has been made that in lots of places in Scripture, we find Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. This is the only place in Scripture where it says that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Standing at the right hand of God. Now we could say a lot of things there, but I, I'm just telling you, you know, I, you know what I think? <laughs> this is not a doctrine. This is just what Pastor Larry thinks. <laughs> I think that when Jesus asked Stephen to stand, Jesus stood with him. I think Jesus was standing there at the right hand of God. He said, Stephen, I'm standing with you. And you know, Stephen could see him. He had this spiritual sight there that day with all that was, this was going on. What could Stephen see? He could see the portals of glory. He could see the gates of heaven open. He could see Jesus, the one that he was standing for, and he was standing right there as well in heaven, standing with him right at the right hand of God. I can promise you this. <laughs> that crowd didn't have any spiritual insight. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They literally, they didn't want to listen. Sometimes, in this case, you know, you know sometimes people just, you know, ah, put their hands over their ears. They don't want to hear that. Sometimes you just cut the preacher off mentally. Sometimes you just turn the things off because you don't want to hear that. There's some things it's okay. You can agree with that. You can go along with that. But once it got down to where they lived, when it got down to their sin, what the way they had treated Jesus Christ, oh, they couldn't handle that. You see, but all they were looking on, they were just looking on this world. They were just looking at the things that they could see around them. Jesus had described these actions before. Look back in, in, in Matthew chapter 15. Notice what it says there. Matthew chapter 15, notice what it says in verse, in verse 14. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. If you're spiritually blind, how can you lead anybody into spiritual sight? It's impossible. These were spiritually blind there that day. In a few chapters over in Matthew chapter 23, Notice what it says. Again, Jesus speaking in verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Look down in verse 24. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Uh, guess what? If you look just a little bit, the same people Jesus was talking to there in Matthew, they're the same people now that Stephen is standing before that's trying to judge him of spiritual matters. Those that are spiritually blind, they don't have Jesus. They just have a dead religion. We find that it's one thing. You know, it, we look around and we might say about some of the other religions, there's a lot of talk right now in the news, of course, about Islam and the Muslims and whatnot. Well, you know, we, we expect those people to be spiritually blind. But 
the people here are the people that claimed to be following the same God that we are. They were the religious leaders of the day. But what am I saying? That even so, the big contrast was is that Stephen was real. Stephen really belonged to God and Stephen had spiritual sight and he saw Jesus and he saw God and he saw the gates of heaven open before him. But all these religious leaders could see was the earthly matters, the things they didn't like, the things that made them look bad. We could say many things there, but what I want you to realize is the contrast here between these two sets of people. There was a great contrast in the volition that drove them to do the things they were doing, that which was driving them from within. And of course, that in itself then made a contrast between the visibility of the spiritual things. One could see the spiritual things and see God and see Jesus, while the others could only see the earthly things. But there was another big contrast here, which is vital. <laughs> the contrast of their view of life and death. Their view of life and death. <laughs> you see, we find before us here a scene of what in our day we'd probably just call mob violence. This was not a legal execution any more than the trial of Jesus Christ was when he stood there. The fact that the Sanhedrin's lack of legal authority to even impose the death sentence, they had apparently tried to keep some kind of an impression of legality because they cast him out of the city, according to verse 58 here. They were, however, keeping to their own law as the Jews. Notice that it was the witness who laid down their clothes at Saul's feet to stone him. Well, according to the law, the witness had to be the first to cast the stone. Who was it that was accusing him? The accuser, the witness. They had to be the first one. Well, we find that in this scene that's taking place before us here, the procedure called for the victim, in this case Stephen, to be pushed off a 10-foot high parapet. That would have been the legal way of executing him for the crime that he was being accused of. Push him off a 10-foot high parapet. Now, if after he was pushed off, he wasn't dead, then the first witness, the accuser, was the first one that had to come along and he had to take a large stone and drop it on his head. And if that didn't kill him, then the next witness came along with a big stone and boom, dropped it on his head until he was dead. What we see instead are the actions of a uncontrollable mob of people that's being driven by the anger that's within them. They didn't even carry out the prescribed burial that was supposed to take place in these cases because the whole affair was an illegal affair. We find that the crowd carried out the dirty work, but that's the first appearance of Saul in Scripture as he stood there. His apparent appearance up front 
lends us to realize that he probably did have a good part. He was at least consenting to it, the Scripture said. He was a man of authority and power in his day. We find that it was all totally contrary. And, of course, we find that as death began to approach for Stephen, notice what it says in verse 59, and they stoned Stephen who was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Here he is being stoned to death. He's talking to God. He's asking the Lord Jesus to receive his spirit. Now, Jesus Christ had committed himself to the Father at this point, and Stephen to the Lord Jesus Christ as he called upon God. Again, just testifying of the deity of who Jesus Christ really is. And it's certain that Stephen clearly expected to enter into the Lord's presence as soon as he died that day, which is exactly what Scripture bear out. We take and we look. Even the thief on the cross, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Even the the rich man in Lazarus, the rich man in Abraham's bosom, we find that even the tribulation martyrs, again, are taken into the presence of the Lord. They all bear out this truth that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying there's a big contrast here in life and death because this mob, their idea that day was they were putting an end to this guy. <laughs> that was their view of life and death. They didn't like what he had done. They didn't like what he had said, so they were putting an end to him. They were acting out of anger. They were acting like a righteous mob. They certainly were not following the law that would have been prevalent in their days. And to them, that's the end of him. Well, what they didn't realize, <laughs> Stephen's view of life and death was very different. <laughs> Stephen's view was so very different. Stephen was asking the Lord Jesus to receive his spirit. He was going to be with the Lord. And he was praying that God wouldn't hold this to their charge. What are you saying? I'm saying the contrast. There was a tremendous contrast, the volition the drive that caused these people to do the things they were doing that day. There was a tremendous contrast in the visibility, Stephen seeing the spiritual and seeing Jesus Christ, and that's where his eyes were, them seeing just the earthly, fleshly things. There was a tremendous difference in their view of life and death. To Stephen, he wasn't dying. He knew that it was only the beginning. They were just ushering him into the presence. We're saying, now I belong to Jesus, not for the time, not for the time of here alone, but for eternity. Stephen knew that. Stephen's view of life and death was very, very different than these religious people that were doing what they were doing to him. And finally, there's a great contrast in the veracity of their emotions, in the pouring out of what they were feeling. You see, on the one hand, 
we find that it was the Holy Spirit or anger that was controlling them. But I'm saying look at what was coming out from them. Look at what was coming out, their emotions. The mob were pouring out their hatred while Stephen was simply showing love. That was what was coming from both of these groups. One was being controlled by the flesh while the other was being controlled by the Holy Spirit. One was seeing the spiritual while the other was seeing just the earthly. One was seeing life everlasting with the Lord while the others were seeing death and an end to it all. One was showing love from their hearts while the other was showing hatred. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The mob could hardly have been showing more hatred just as they had at the cross when Jesus was hanging there, when they were stoning him that day. That was pure hatred that was coming out for them. In contrast, Stephen is showing love and mercy and compassion and praying for their souls. These that are destroying him, these that think that they're putting an end to him. You see Stephen being filled with the Holy Ghost. He was acting in the likeness of Christ. He had commended his spirit to God. He's pleading for their forgiveness. You see, even in this moment, he wants them to be saved from their sin. He wants them to be forgiven for these awful things that they're doing that day. How could Stephen possess such a heart of love? Romans Chapter 5 and verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us in the face of everything that day. Because it was the Holy Ghost that was in control, love was being shown abroad. That's what was coming out of this one called Stephen. And he fell asleep asking for their forgiveness. You see, the emotions that were being displayed were very, very different indeed. Now, there's many passages that we could look at, but our time has slipped away. And I'd just like to note this in conclusion, that again, taking a stand, when it matters most. We find that Paul saw himself as the chiefest of sinners and partially because of what was taking place right here. Paul himself looks back on this day with great, great sadness. In Acts chapter 22, notice what he says in verse 19 and 20. Then I said, Lord... They know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them 
that slew him. You see, Paul knew what an awful thing that he had done. Saul was on the wrong side that day. Saul was one of those that was filled with the anger instead of the Holy Ghost. He was one of those that was seeing the fleshly and the earthly rather than the spiritual. He was one of those that his view of life and death was very, very, very different than this one that he was putting to get death. He was one that day that the wrong emotions were being poured out, those of hatred rather than love. But you see here, his life was changed. I want to ask you this morning the most important question I could ever ask you. Where do you stand in your relationship with God? Where do you stand? Because everybody here is like one of these two groups. We find that you've got some semblance of some kind of religion in your life. You're here at church today. But you know, religion isn't enough. You know that when Martin Luther stood there and put his life on the line, he'd been a part of the church. He'd been the great theology professor that taught everybody else, but he was just like one of these Pharisees here. He was the blind leading the blind. Today, where do you stand in your relationship with God? Saul stood on the wrong side that day. But on the road to Damascus... <laughs> He saw something different. He saw Jesus. He met Jesus. He humbled himself and sought forgiveness. He couldn't go back and change what he'd had a part in here in Acts chapter 7. But God had forgiven him for that. Today, whatever your past, wherever you've been, God will forgive you if you will humble yourself, admit that you're a sinner, and come to him. Christian, what do you stand for in life? What are you willing to stand for? What will you stand for? And, and literally, you might, you might be willing to, to get into a good brawl with somebody, a great argument. You're willing to fight for something. You're willing to stand for something. Well, are you willing to stand when it matters most? Are you willing to stand when it's standing for Jesus Christ? When you may be standing against all of the religious crowd out there. When you may be standing against all of the world. I got news for you. The Bible doesn't show anybody standing there with Stephen that day. He was standing, but he was standing with Jesus, and he was standing for Jesus when it mattered the most. Oh, yes, he was rewarded. <laughs> and many others have been rewarded since. I'm saying to you today, will you take a stand when it matters most? Because that very person that you might be more willing to be accepted by to be liked by, to be thought well of. Just like Saul that day, you may be the only opportunity of testimony that they'll ever have. I get, you, you can go through life. You can get all the religion you want. You can be just like this religious crowd here. But you know, as far as we know, with the exception of Saul, we don't know of any of the others getting saved. If they didn't, if they were where they were that day, they spent an eternity in that place called hell, and they're still there today as we're here. But today, where do you stand with God? And if you're standing with God, are you willing to stand when it matters most that no matter the cost, 
no matter who else it is, no matter what it is, you'll accept God's promises and you'll take a stand with Jesus and for Jesus. That's what this world needs. This world needs people today who will take a stand when it matters most. They'll stand up and be counted for Jesus Christ when it might be all their friends, when it might be all the religious people, when it might be all the world around them. It's not standing with them. They'll stand no matter what. Father, thank you this morning. There's so many other things that we would have liked to say, but Lord, time evades us and there's so much that could be said. But Lord, I pray that you'll take these simple thoughts today. You'll help us to notice the great contrast between those that were gathered that day. There was one man, Stephen, who took a stand when it mattered most. It would have been so easy for him to recant, to went along with all the other religious crowd, to have thought of his own security and safety. But he stood when it mattered most. And as a result of that, he saw things that he would never have seen. He had an impact on a life that changed the world. Lord, he's had an impact on lives right down through even maybe here today. So, Lord, we pray that you'd help us. Help us to be willing to stand when it matters most. That first step is to stand with Jesus Christ, to stand with God when the devil's trying to take them for eternity. I pray if there's anyone here today that's never realized as a sinner, there's only one place they can get forgiveness, and that's through Jesus Christ. Please, God, help them to realize that today. Help them not to be secure in their cold religion, but help them to know the one called Jesus. And Father, I pray. I pray that you would help each and every one of us as believers. Help us to stand when it matters most. Help us to stand regardless of who we're standing before, regardless of who's standing with us or not standing with us, regardless of what the consequences. Help us to be willing to say, here I stand. I can do no other because this is the Word of God. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 